Well, I want to welcome each and every one of you as we are in our second in the series on the arrival, the advent of Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about Gabriel, the angel sent by God's announcement to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Today we want to talk about that announcement to none other than Mary. Now, you're here today and you may be listening online to this particular message and you've got different opinions about Mary, perhaps. They go from one extreme, I believe, to the veneration of Mary all the way to the other extreme where people hardly give her any credibility whatsoever. I think we should be somewhere right in the middle of that. Some of us are here today and, and are awed by God to the extent that we may feel that there is nothing that we could offer God that He doesn't already have, so therefore, what's the use of availing ourselves at all to begin with? And after all, who are we that God would call us to do anything for Him? Those questions might be yours, and why me? Why here? Why now? Why that particular call? And some of you may be struggling with that as well. Well, let's talk about Mary's uh, response. Verse 26 of chapter 1 of Luke. The Bible says it this way. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Well, let's begin and talk about God's grace. Here is Mary. The Hebrew word for Mary is Miriam. And translated means bitter myrrh. Now you understand that in those days, in that culture, at that particular time, parents would name their children uh, in accordance with either the circumstance of their birth, the situation. Perhaps parents would put a name, a nomenclature on that child that indicated what they hoped would happen to that child as they became adults. Bitter myrrh. I'm not so sure that was a good nomenclature. Here was Mary. We can only imagine what her station in life was when she was born. The Bible says that, that she was born in Nazareth. She was a Galilean. The people that lived in that region were really held in disdain, if you will, from people in Jerusalem. They really looked down their noses. In fact, if you remember, Nathaniel was one in John 1 that said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can anything at all that's good come out of Nazareth? When talking about Jesus. Well, we know that she was also a handmaid. Uh, she refers to herself that way in verse 38. She says, uh, I am the Lord's servant, or the Lord's handmaid. And again in verse 48, 
she said in her song, he has been mindful of this humble state of his servant. That word handmaid or servant, literally translated, is the lowest estate of servants in that day and age. She was on a uh, level with a common slave. It's the lowest of all the servants, and she was literally at the bottom of the rung of those who made their living, eked out a living by being servants of people around. Some have even speculated that perhaps her mother and father passed away when she was yet young in age, and she was all alone as an orphan. Well, whatever the case might be, she's thinking, who am I? She was greatly troubled at his words and wonder what kind of greeting this might be, the Scripture says. Who am I? And all of us, I think, come to that place in our lives where we have to ask the same question, who am I, Lord, that you would call me into this particular uh, situation? I, I don't think that I'm the one that, is it really me that you're, you're hailing, that you're calling into service? I, you know, maybe I, I don't have that much to offer. She was poor. She was a teenager. Teenagers, the uh, girls that became uh, capable of motherhood in those days that had hit adolescence were those that were ready for marriage, and they would be married at an early age. Some speculate she was somewhere between 14 to 16 years of age. Now, she's young, she's poor, she's, she is espoused to a man, engaged to a man, but she works by the sweat of her brow as a handmaiding, as a lowest of servants. She doesn't have that much to offer. You see, God doesn't favor the rich or the talented or the attractive, but loves all of us equally. I think we always get that wrong. We, sometimes we see, we see the people that have the great voices or the great talents, the, the music abilities, or, or those that, that are great teachers or preachers or, or whatever the case might be. And we think, well, God's going to use them, but He certainly can't use me because I have none of those qualities. Listen to what the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 28. Think of what you were, the Bible says, when you were called. Think about that just a second. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. God just loves a challenge, you know? And many of us are His challenges. So God loves to take that which seems to be the unimpressive, the unimportant, the, the humble. God can take a bush and light it on fire, you know. 
and appear before Moses who thought that he was not qualified to carry the task of the nation of Israel. Take my brother. He's a lot more astute and knowledgeable than I am. And besides, I'm not much of a speaker. You want me to go before Pharaoh? I don't think so. God said, I didn't call Aaron. I called you. You're the one that has to respond positively or negatively. And that happens with each and every one of us. I can remember in my own life when God called me into the ministry. You know, you can interview my high school classmates. They can say, well, that wasn't his claim to fame in high school, you know. And I, I never expected it, didn't see it coming, and yet I felt strongly that this is what God had called me to do. And there's oftentimes in, in gathering together people on missions or ministry uh, expeditions, I'll have them come to me and say, I, you know, I really don't know what I can do, but I'm available. You see, God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. And it's not your ability or your inability that matters. It's your availability. And so we need to understand that God's grace is that which is operative, not only in the life of Mary, but in the life of you and me together. Chuck Swindoll put it a different way. He said, uh, in his own inimitable way, I'll find it here in just a second. (laughs) He says, when it came time for God to send his son to earth, he did not send him to the palace of some mighty king. He was conceived in the womb of an unwed mother, a virgin, who lived in the lowly village of Nazareth. Choosing those who would represent Christ and establish his church, God picked some of the most unusual individuals imaginable. Unschooled fishermen, a tax collector, a mystic, a doubter, and a former Pharisee who had persecuted Christians. He continued to pick some very unusual persons down through the ages. In fact, he seems to delight in such surprising choices to this very day. So let God be God. Expect the unexpected. (laughs) Well, but then you see Mary struggling with her doubts. Beginning at verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Then Mary says, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? There's always those doubts. Those doubts. Pregnant? That can't be. I am a virgin. She understood enough about human anatomy and biology that she knew that being alone and being a virgin wouldn't produce a child. 
She had questions. Do you have questions of God when he calls you? Of course you do. Do you vocalize them to him? I hope you do. God is always large enough to re receive and field any questions we might have of anything related to him, related to life, related to us. Anything that comes across our mind, he can handle it. Then Mary accepted God's will like Joan of Arc, I shall only last a year. Use me as you can. You see, when I look at that verse 34, and I see where she says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. You see, Mary was not unwilling to accept the assignment. I want you to see that. She simply could not understand it. That's a big difference. She didn't reject the assignment. She just didn't understand it. How many times have you come to that place where God says, what I want you to do, I want you to talk to that individual about me. And you're thinking, that person has never indicated one bit that they are interested in hearing about Jesus. And you want me to talk to them? I'm not even sure I like them. But you want me to talk to them anyway. Well, or what about that assignment? How many times have people come to me and said, you know, I'm not qualified to do anything on a mission field. I can remember the lady that stood up in a missions meeting to an attorney that said, what can I do on the mission field? And she had just helped build a church in Africa. She said, she stood up and she said, I'll tell you what you can do. You can hold the end of a board. And that's it. Just be available, folks, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Mary was not unwilling to accept the assignment. She just simply did not understand it. How can this be, she said. I'm a virgin. So God confirms to her. He says, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now I want you to see that word overshadow and circle it. Because that's the same word of the Shekinah glory of God that fills the Holy of Holies in the temple. In other words, he is saying to Mary, your body will become the Holy of Holies. Because God, through the Spirit, will indwell you. And Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, will fill your womb. He will overshadow you. And then he continues by saying, So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. How can this be possible? Mary was thinking, I'm a virgin. And then you see how God begins to intertwine all of these relationships and circumstances and situations to make sure that everybody understands you need to be on the same page with God. With God, it is not impossible because with God, all things are possible. Remember your cousin Elizabeth? She's beyond childbearing age. She was childless. Her and Zachariah have been praying for a child, but to no avail, and she's literally become uh, dismayed over the circumstance. But she's pregnant. She's in her sixth month. You need to go check it out. That will be God's confirmation 
as he sends to all of us from time to time through different circumstances and people and situations that he is accomplishing something great through us. And so there's your confirmation. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She's beyond childbearing years. I know you read about Abraham and Sarah, but that was in the Old Testament. That was times past, and maybe you don't think that God can do it again, but He did. And Elizabeth is going to be His proof. And she was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. In other words, with God, nothing is impossible. His word always accomplishes what it intends to do. It never returns to him void without accomplishing its purpose. And so here we have that confirmation from God. Now later on, God's angel would appear to Joseph and confirm it through him. He would, the, the angel would be joined with a heavenly host and make the announcement to the shepherds out in the field, to the wise men, to Simeon, to Anna, and all the way through Jesus' life, there would be these situations. And the Bible says, and Mary would ponder these things in her heart. I would always, always think about Mary having a scrapbook. You know? Think about her writing these things down. The situations as he grew up. But there would be God's confirmation that nothing is impossible to him. We must put ourselves in God's hands. Max Lucado said it this way, There are many reasons God saves you to bring glory to Himself, to appease His justice, to demonstrate His sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because He is fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If He had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and yet he chose your heart. And the Christmas gift he sent you in Bethlehem? Face it, friends, he says. He's crazy about you. Well, to you and to me, in our own lives, in our own purpose, we see how that God's confirmation produces a joy we see it in Elizabeth in verse uh, we see how she rejoiced in the announcement of her pregnancy as well as the arrival of Mary we see it in John the Baptist still in the womb verse 41 when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and then she says to Mary, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And we see it in Mary through this Magnificat in that joy that God produced through her. Wow. So look at our song. This is Mary's song should be our song. It's called the Magnificat because it's the first word in the Latin. That literally means to magnify the Lord. But we see it in this particular passage. As you look, five things that I'll leave with you about her song. She 
recognized that God saved her. Verse 47, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Only sinners need saviors. Only sinners need Savior. Mary knew that she was a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That did not exclude Mary. She was a sinner, saved by the grace of God. She understood that she was a sinner. She understood that she had disobeyed God in her life. That disobedience is called sin. Sin separates us from God. The only way we can get back to God is by faith in Jesus Christ. She understood that, that Jesus was her Savior. Secondly, she understood that God regarded her in verse 48. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mindful, for he has regarded her. Mindful of her, he looked with favor upon her. So she recognized that God regarded. Do you understand that with you? When God is dealing with you and me, he is mindful of us. We are in his mind. We're in his thoughts. He has uh, he has paid attention to our plight, our station in life, our status, our circumstance and situation. Thirdly, God was mighty for her. In verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. God is our warrior. He is always the one out doing the battle for us. Because as he told the children of Israel, the battle is the Lord's. It's my battle. All you need to do is to be faithful, and I'll fight it for you. Amen. And then fourth, God's power is for all who trust Him. Verse 50. The Bible says His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Not just the children of Israel. Not just in Mary's generation 2,000 years ago. But for all who fear Him. Not for everyone, because everyone's not going to fear the Lord. Everyone's not going to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But for all who do, God is not only our warrior, but He is our power for all who trust Him. From generation to generation, in every culture in the world, yesterday, today, and forever. And then, finally, God will turn the world upside down through Jesus. Look at the last... He performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Wow. Do you see how God has turned the world's structures upside down? E. Stanley Jones called Mary's song the most revolutionary document on earth because it reversed the power structure, he said. He turned the world upside down. He did it through Jesus. He understood that you conquer not by, by might or by force, but through love and through submission to God's plan. And wow, what a kingdom we have seen has spread throughout the generations over the last 2,000 years. And continues to do so. And we see where nations who, who try to be so iron-fisted on their citizenry, especially their, their Christian citizens, are doing all they can to stamp out Christianity, and yet it continues to blossom. The church has always been fed by the blood of its martyrs, and yet it continues to grow, and the politicians 
the government authorities, the autocrats can do nothing about it. It's going to continue until the Lord returns. And then he'll set his throne up on earth and he will reign forever and ever and ever. Wow. Well, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months until she had John. And then Elizabeth returned home. My question to you today is, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you come to that place where you know there's an emptiness in your heart? You know it's there? Today, very shortly, right after our Lord's Supper's observance, we will have a time of invitation, and we will give you that opportunity to come forward. You're here this morning, and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you have, and you'd like to make that public. Today is the day. Maybe you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never followed Him in baptism by immersion or public profession of faith, and you'd like to do this to indicate that this is something that you would like to schedule. We would like to have you come as well. Or maybe you're looking for a church home. We have a great family of of faith here, and we always need people to come alongside us and to serve the Lord with us and us with you. So if you're looking for a church home, this is a good time to come. And then for all of us, it's a time of rededication, folks, to realign our lives in with God's will so that we, during this Christmas season, can begin to serve Him in a way that brings Him the greatest glory. It's a time of rededication. I'll be here at the front to pray with you about any decision the Lord lays on your heart. Let's stand as we sing the hymn of invitation.